Good morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to take it up and turn with me to Psalm 8. Uh, that is in the Old Testament. There's the Old Testament, New Testament. So the old being the front part of your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to follow along. You can find uh, a Bible in the pew back in front of you, and you can find this reading on page 434, 434, or you can find it on your mobile device if you'd like. We encourage you to follow along. We are in a series that we call Selah. It's a series for the summer, and we are taking the summer and going through the book of Psalms. Uh, the, the term Selah, it's actually a musical term, uh, and it actually means to pause or to stop and to reflect. And so during our summer, this summer, what we want to do together as a church is to take time to pause and reflect on the Psalms, the deep truths about who God is. The Psalms have been said to be Jesus' songbook, Jesus' hymnal, the way in which he would have prayed and engaged God, he would have known these psalms and would have prayed these psalms. And so uh, we too as a church want to also, as we go along, uh, be in the psalms together and allow them to fill our hearts and minds. Uh, we can't preach through all 150 psalms, but we can read them. And so we have a reading list uh, that we would encourage you to take one of these cards. Uh, and it has little boxes so that you can check off. You're only a couple days behind if you haven't started. We would love it started June 1st. Um, and by the end of August, we will have gone through all 150 psalms together as a church. If, if you go, oh, that's so old school to be able to check boxes, I, I understand. Or if you just need more help, we can text you. The, the, you can get texts every single day to be reminded to read as well. And that's what I need. Um, and so I, every, at 9 o'clock every day, then I get a text message that says, hey, this is your sailor reading. And I push the link and automatically it just goes right to the Bible passage. And then I can read it there or I can come back later and read it. So to do that, you can go, you can, uh, at the end, of, at the bottom of the card, you can find the text um, message number as well. But we would love for you to join us as we read the Psalms together as a church family. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my son, my middle, my middle son turned 10 years old, and as part of his birthday celebration, he wanted to go to the Mall of America. It's part of the joys of living in the Twin Cities is the Mall of America. And I don't know if you know, they have, I guess you call it a new ride. It's uh, Fly Over America. Have you heard about Fly Over America? So Fly Over America, they, ha they also have, um, it's, it's similar to uh, the ride in one of the Disney parks called Soar, right? So the idea is that you would sit in the seats, and then they, they, they would kind of strap you in, and then you would be, you, they would raise you up so your feet dangle and there's this big huge screen in front of you and there's just these beautiful amazing breathtaking snapshots of America and it's like you're flying over mountain peaks or over valleys or you fly down or following a river it's this amazing thing where you're able to get these snapshots of how and it reminds me as I was sitting there I, I didn't go in because it I didn't, um, but I was sitting there watching the promo video and watching these amazing snapshots of our country, and it reminds me of the vastness and beauty of the country in which we live in. I, I'm sure you've had these moments, moments like for me when I was probably six or eight or ten when we went the first time I'd ever been to Niagara Falls and we went on the Maid of, Maid of the Mist and we went and we just felt the, and could you feel the rushing water coming down and the power of it, or... The first time I drove the one, Highway 1, down the, co the west coast of California, and you just see off, off to, to the edge of the, of the, as the land drops off and just the vastness of the water that's there and the beauty of it. And the reason I go there, the reason I want your minds to start there is because that's where I believe David begins his reflection in Psalm chapter 8. So let's look together at Psalm 8. 
beginning in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, birds in the sky and fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name and all the earth. A brief prayer this morning. Father, we come to you and now have read your word, and we ask that you, by your spirit, will be our teacher and our helper and our guide as we seek to learn about you from your word, authored by David, authored by you. In your name we pray, amen. As David reflects, there, I think, are four things that we'll learn from David through this psalm. The first of them is what we should see, what we should see. David says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Why? You have set your glory in the heavens. And then down in verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. David, when he looks out at creation, when he looks at what he sees, when he observes all that is around him, then what he sees is God. He sees the work of God in the universe, in creation. Some scholars suggest that this is David reflecting on when he was a shepherd and when he would have been out watching sheep at night and would have been able to see the vastness of the sky and all of the stars. Has that ever been your experience? It's not alone. It's not an experience that was saved just for David. To be able to be out in creation and when you see creation, be able to say, there has to be a God. There has to be something, someone more. Of course, that's not everyone's experience, is it? I don't know if you know of, uh, when, I, when I was thinking about this, it brought to mind uh, a preacher and a pastor and teacher, uh, Louis Giglio. He, he did this thing, he was talking about our, our galaxy. He was talking about uh, the Milky Way, the galaxy in which we live. This is not the Milky Way. This would be a picture of uh, another galaxy that's a similar, similar shape. It's a spiral galaxy. Um, because, of course, uh, as Louis Giglio says, our Milky Way, our galaxy, is our subdivision in which we live. The subdivision in the universe in which we, we live, where our planet is located. We, we can't actually take a picture of the Milky Way. We don't have the ability to be able to go above the Milky Way in order to be able to have a picture of its shape. So the best we can do is to look at other galaxies that are spiral as well as ours. Because the way in which we navigate through our universe is through light years. Of course, light years is measured in the amount of, t- or how fast light can travel in a year's amount of time. Light, light travels at 186,000 miles a second. Light travels at 186,000 miles a second. So light travels 588 trillion miles in one year. So this is the main measurement 
or one of the main measurements that we use in order to be able to try to get an understanding of the universe in which we live. We're trying to get an understanding of it. So most of our measurements that we use, foot or a yard or a mile, they're worthless in trying to understand the vastness of the creation that God has made. It's not going going to help us get around in God's universe, but rather we need a measuring tool that is 5.88 trillion miles long in order to begin to start to grapple with the realities of the universe in which we live. The Milky Way consists of over 200 billion stars. 200 billion stars. And scientists suggest, they estimate, that there are over 100 billion other galaxies in our known observable universe. Right? So there are over 200 billion stars in our galaxy, and, the, and scientists suggest that there are over 100 billion more galaxies. Staggering. And David says, when I look at the physical universe, when I look at the physical universe, it gives testimony that God is real and that he's really out there. But it doesn't just give testimony that he's real but it also gives testimony to the magnitude and the magnificence of God. That's what he says in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. He's trying to grapple with this, and he says, this is the work of God's fingers. Well, God, God is spirit. God doesn't have fingers. What he's doing is taking language and trying to use language in order to be able to to somehow begin to communicate something about the vastness and the magnitude and the majesty of God. And he says, "It's it's the work of his fingers. Notice he didn't say the work of his hands. He didn't say the work of his arm. He didn't say the work of God's bulging muscles. No, he says, the vastness of this created order, the vastness of this universe, it's just the works of his fingers. Just, just the work of his fingers. <laughs> that the, this creation that we study and we look at and we can't, we, we, have, we, we, we marvel at trying to understand, he says, it's just the simple acts of God's fingers. And if, the, if this vast creation, this vast universe, is just the tiny works of the fingers of God, how vast must God be? How vast must he be? And he says, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? How majestic. If God is this vast, if God is this big, then how are we to regard such a God? How do you regard God? How do we have a tendency to regard God and to think about him? Surely, surely he's not, he shouldn't be our assistant. Surely he shouldn't just merely be our butler. Where we just come to God and ask him to give us what we want and ask him to make our days nice. Well, how are we to regard a God of this significance, of this magnitude, of this? He says, no, he should be your king. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. David says that when we look at the creation, we ought to be able to see God and in his creation that he has made. And we ought to marvel 
at our king in his majestic name. But the point of the psalm, of Psalm 8, isn't that God made all of creation, although that he did. But rather, David is actually trying to teach us how we ought to feel. The psalm is actually about us and, and our relationship with God and our relationship to, to creation. And he says, this is how we, what we ought to be able to see in creation. But then he says, this is how we ought to feel. This is how we should feel. Verse 4, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. David is looking and he says, what, what is man? Who, who are we? This is a rhetorical question that he's asking. He's saying, when he looks at the vastness, when he looks at the glory, when he looks at all of what he sees, then he says, I, I, feel, I feel worthless. I feel small. I feel tiny. I feel insignificant. When, when, when measured and compared against the vastness, who is man? Where are we? This is, I suggest to you, a significant question. A very important question. If God is great and God is vast and he's able to create this type of creation that we grapple to understand, then is he good and can he care about me? If he's big but he doesn't care about me, how, would I, how should I feel? We'd feel insignificant. We would feel worthless, wouldn't we? If there's a God who is behind all of this creation, yet is, un, yet is, is uninvolved, yet is unkind, how, how would we feel? Or uh, others in our culture, in our day and age now, those who are thought leaders in our culture, those who are in the ivory towers of our universities, now uh, many believe that we are here by chance, that, we are, that there is no creator God. That the material world is all that there is. The material world is all that we have. That our lives are to be lived in the midst of and on the whim of blind and personal forces of the universe. This is the thinking that goes on in many of the highways and byways of our society these days. Where does that kind of thinking lead? One writer sums it up this way. It is inevitable that relatively soon you will die. You will cease to be, and not existing will remember nothing that you have done. It is also inevitable that everyone and everything that remembers what you have done or who you are will also, relative, will also die relatively soon. Even if you and a million generations after you lived a trillion years and remembered you, they will inevitably die as well. So ultimately, you and all that you have done will be forgotten as if it and you never happened to begin with. This implies that the only way for anyone to matter at all is to live for eternity, real eternity. Otherwise, even after unimaginable ages, we will all pass away and will have never mattered. So, to, he says, so I live to enjoy life and I live for the betterment of humanity and I live to pass on my genes. All are moot since all will be lost and forgotten ultimately 
unless eternal life is achieved. And he's talking about eternal physical life. This is the logical, he just takes this way of thinking to its logical conclusion. If this is where this thinking leads, and if it's true, then how are we to then navigate through life? How can we, how can we, how are we to feel? Well, in an article with BuzzFeed in 2015, Dr. Susan Blackmore, a psychologist, says this. A professed atheist psychologist says, when the question was asked, how do you get meaning in life? She says this. If I get that what's it all for sort of feeling, then I say to myself, what's the point of it all? There isn't any point. And somehow, for me, and I know not, it's not true for all other people, that's really comforting. It slows me down. It reminds me that I didn't ask to be born. I'll be gone, and I won't know what will happen. I'll just be gone, so get on with it. I find that comforting. To say to myself, there is no point. I live in a pointless universe. Here I am, for better or worse. Get on with it. David says, in the face of the vastness of creation, we should feel small. We should recognize our smallness. Does the force behind creation care for me? Does the force behind creation notice me? Some, like Dr. Blackmore, conclude no. There is no There is a force, but it's impersonal, uncaring. David comes to a different conclusion. David learned something that we too must learn. What we must learn is in verse 5. You have made them, he's talking about humankind, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and all that swim the paths of the seas. David learned that the God, there is a God behind creation, and that the God who is behind creation actually does care for him, does see him, and does know him. You say, well, how is it that he knows these things? How does he see it? First, it's because he made you. Verse 5, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. God, who is above the heavens, God, who is above creation, has chosen to bestow. God, who is truly the only one who is truly worthy of glory and honor, has chosen to bestow his glory and honor on whom? Humankind. Mankind. That means that God has put his stamp upon us. He has put his image on us. And here, the psalmist is referring back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 in the creation of humankind, where God says, let us make men and women in our own image. Let us make them in our own image. Because we matter to God so much so that he would bestow his glory upon us. We matter because he has given us work to do over his creation. Every human being is infinitely precious and God cares about how all human beings are treated because they all bear his image. They all bear his image. This means that you have significance in the world. It means that you're not junk. 
That all of the time we're continually be, being told that we need to prove that we matter. We need to prove our significance. And here saying, no, you are significant. Why? Because God created you and put his image in you. He bestowed glory and honor on you. He cares for you because he put his image on you. Yesterday I had the privilege of, with my wife of going to my daughter's dance recital. I thought I'd just show a picture of her here. There she is. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was, it was a couple of hours, two, two three-hour program, and um, of all of these, from all the way from just little tiny preschoolers all the way up to high school seniors, that, and just to watch the advancement of where these, we, where these mostly girls and their fancy dresses and fancy hairdos and all of this stuff, pretty, pretty amazing. But there was one particular one that stuck out besides the ones my daughter were in. Um, there was a group of probably seven or eight, uh, one boy, and then the rest were all girls, and they had their fancy outfits on, and they did a, they did a number. They sang and danced to uh, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, which is just cute, and they had little wooden spoons. Um, here's the staggering thing about it. There were two out of these probably seven or eight people that were in wheelchairs, and, and to watch these young girls, they were between six and eight years old. And to watch these girls, and they're singing their hearts out as they try to stir the, 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 the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. Because these two girls are as worthy as the other girls. You could be tempted if you're a parent to say, my student got the raw deal because they have to be. No, 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 no. But this studio and these parents and this class and the place was be able to, to celebrate and to celebrate the dignity that comes. These girls have dignity and so do you and so does all of humanity because God has put his glory and honor. He's put his image and his stamp upon us. It's God's choice. We know we must learn that he made you, so therefore you have significance. We must also learn that we have significance because he saved you. Verse 4 again says, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. How do we know that God is mindful? We fill the mind of God. How do we know? Ultimately, we know because that God loves us and cares for us because God came to visit us. He made us and he came to visit us. God came down and visited us. God sent his son Jesus and visited his people. Verse 2 says this, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies and silenced the foe and the avenger. This world is, he says, this world is filled with enemies. This world is filled with the foe. This world is filled with Avenger, the Avenger. And it's not like a new movie that's coming out, right? Doesn't it sound like a superhero movie? It's not. Um, it's a negative word for vengeful people. This world is full of evil. This world is full of foes. This world is full of Avengers and vengeful people. And Jesus says, it is through the praise of infants and children that I will deal with the evil of this world that I will deal with the foe of this world, that I will deal with the brokenness of this world. This is, Jesus actually quoted this psalm. If you will remember the, the account of where Jesus is actually going and, and riding a donkey into Jerusalem. It's often called, referred to as the triumphal entry. It's Palm Sunday, the Sunday that we celebrate before Easter. Jesus riding a donkey, not a charger, 
not a beautiful white stallion. He's riding a donkey. And he rides into Jerusalem and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. As he rides in and then he rides the donkey to the temple and then the temple courts. Then he, he kicks out all of the money changers and he says, this, his, this is my father's house, which is to be a house of prayer. And then he begins to heal the blind and the lame. And as he's healing the blind and the lame, the children are saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Glory to the son of David. And the teachers and the rulers are angry. This is what they say, Matthew 21, verse 16. Do you hear, these, do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? And Jesus replied, yes, Jesus replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, Lord? You have called forth your praise. Have you never read this, teachers of the law? Have you never read this? From the lips of children. The children have it right. They're singing praise to the son of David. They're singing praise to the Messiah. They're singing praises here. Jesus quotes it saying that these children are correct. Jesus is saying they're right to be praising me. Because I came as a child. I came as a baby. I came as an infant. And I came in order that I might be able to silence the foe and the avenger once and for all. I came in order that I might be able to deal with the ultimate evil, which is the evil of death. I've come to conquer. Why? Because he was mindful of us. Because you fill the mind of God. Why did God come as a child? Why did God come the way he came? He came because you fill his mind. Because you fill the mind of God that he so wanted to reconcile us. Is it not staggering that God wanted to reconcile us on this little planet in the midst of all of his vast creation that we inhabit? And yet this God saw you. You fill his mind. How do you know that you have significance in this world? How do you know that you matter from now and to eternity? It is because Jesus Christ came and died for you. You, how do you know that you are not just tossed about on the impersonal forces of the universe because you have a God who so loved you that he sent his son to die in your place in order that you might spend eternity with him? So how are we to live in light of this truth? How are we to live? Four things, four things, four words to help sum it up. First is this, to humble ourselves. Our sin will want to make our situation the biggest situation in the world and in the universe if we let it. Our sin will make us want to make God our butler to do our bidding, that God has to put, we, that, that we put God on our plan for our lives. We need to humble ourselves before this almighty God. We need to say again to him, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth, in all of the universe, and in all of my life. When was the last time that you humbled yourself before the vastness of almighty God? It is a beautiful day today. It's a great day for a walk. It's a great day tonight if the, if the, if the clouds hold off for you to be able to go and marvel at the stars. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to say, God, I'm going to go on a walk and I'm going to ask that as I walk that you will show me your majesty, that you will show me your glory, that I might humble myself in your presence. Second is this, to heal. You have dignity. You have significance. 
And the gospel of Jesus Christ will make you well if you allow it to get into the very fabric of who you are. If you will remind yourself that you have been forgiven for all of the things that you have done in Christ. Friends, you have, we have, we are bombarded with messages every single day of how we don't measure up, of how we're not, we're insignificant, of all of these things. Some of us have been so battered and beaten and bruised in the life that we've been on that we just need to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to be a balm to heal our, heal our cracked souls. Will you allow Jesus by his spirit to be the healing balm for your life, for your soul this day, for your soul this morning? Will you ask him and say, will you allow, Father, will you help me better understand how significant I am in your presence and in your sight? Thirdly, is to help. If it's true that we have significance and dignity because God has bestowed his honor upon us, then so it is with all of humanity. And therefore, we have a responsibility, like our team, to go help. Because everyone has dignity. And so therefore, we need to be looking for ways in which we can be helpful. To ways in which we, there are real injustices in the world. Some that are in our backyard that we need to be putting ourselves to action in order that we might be able to say, God, how is it? Because I believe these things from your word, because I believe these things about me, I can't just be selfish and take it all in that I'm the most significant person, but I am significant and so are they. So help me live this out. How can I do that best? And finally, to be hope, it would be hope. That we get to be messengers of hope. I, I, you, you know where I'm at on these things, but I, I find this woman's, this woman's quote to be deeply saddening. I don't know if you felt that way. But to just say that the, the way that she feels comfort is by saying there is no purpose in life. And when I remember that it doesn't matter, then I can somehow get on with my day, so just get on with it. How many people may not go to that extreme, but that's, the, that's what they, they say, oh, the weekend's over, Monday's coming, I might as well get on with it. Oh, friends, we're not getting on with it. We're getting into it. We have a purpose. We have hope all because of what God has done for us. And we have the opportunity to be agents of that hope today for those of our friends and neighbors who are wrestling through just saying, oh, here we go again. No, yeah, here we go again. It's, it's the same stuff, but it has a way different meaning, way different significance, way more important. We get to be the agents of hope in our world. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name and all the earth. Let us pray. Father, we want to wrestle with your majesty and with your glory. We take great comfort in knowing that our name matters, that you know our name, you know our every thought, you know each tear that falls, and you hear us when we call to you. Will you be the balm for our hearts? Will you be the motivation for our help? As we humble ourselves before you, and as we're agents of hope, will you help us please for the, for the glory of your namesake? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.